Over a year ago, we began adjusting to this pandemic and we experienced the contraction of our sense of freedom, our liberties, and what we were able to do. In fact, as a church, we have been meeting and gathering online for our weekend worship and even for our online groups for over a year now. Uh, across Canada and in other places around the world in light of the pandemic, uh, churches have at times felt uh, pressure internally to actually resist this contraction and the movement away from gathering. And there is an internal component to uh, life in the kingdom of God that, that resists uh, the elimination of gathering as the body of Christ, that resists the um, any orders to uh, not speak and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And there, what's required is a kind of wisdom in knowing uh, how to respond. And part of the challenge of that wisdom is that we are not called first to resistance. Rather, we are called to the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. And in following him, we may encounter resistance to him, to the message, and even the means by which we are to accomplish the very life of Jesus and the work of the kingdom of God. This will usher us into a life of prayer as a corporate body and individually. I want to introduce us to a text today in our series that looks at life in view of the resurrection and prayer. This is prayer and resistance. And I'll be reading from Acts chapter 4. I invite you to open your Bible there to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. But before I read that text, I'd really like to set the scene for you for how this prayer meeting that we're going to read about came to exist. The story begins in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John are on the way to the temple, moving through the city of Jerusalem, because the hour of prayer has come, and they were going in the afternoon for prayer. And they met a man who was lame, who had been carried to a temple gate that they called Beautiful. And he had been there every day in order to beg. And when he saw Peter and John, he asked them for money. But Peter looked at him and said, as did John, and said, We don't have any money, but what we do have we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the hand, this man leapt up and was healed. He jumped to his feet, and everyone was excited about this, for the man was well known. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit beside the gate and to beg. And as the crowd gathered there, Peter addressed them and proclaimed the very life of Jesus, asking, Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. It's not by our power, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And so he goes on to speak of how they killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. 
and that they were witnesses of this. And so now by faith in Jesus, this man was healed. Peter goes on then in his message to encourage them to respond to this Messiah whom God had sent and had prophesied, sent prophets who prophesied. And he invited them into a kind of repentance. He said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He anticipates that God will send Jesus back again to restore everything just as he had promised through the prophets. This created quite the scene. And when the captain of the guard and the priest arrived, the Sadducees came up and were disturbed because these disciples were of Jesus were speaking and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. So they seized them and had them arrested in that night. And then they brought them before the rulers and elders and the teachers of the law the next day. And the question for Peter and for John was, by what power or name did you do this? They wanted to know about this healing. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This man was there. And the one that they spoke of was the unseen Jesus resurrected, the stone you builders rejected, who has become the cornerstone. And Peter again proclaims the name of Jesus and the necessity of faith in him. He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven by which people are to be saved. So they were astonished. They saw the courage of Peter and John. They realized they weren't actually part of one of their schools of rabbis, that they were ordinary, regular people, and they were astonished. But they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed, they could not do anything. There was nothing they could say. They wanted to stop this, though, so they warned them. Do not speak any longer to anyone in this name. And they called them and commanded them, Do not speak at all in the name of Jesus. Do not teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then they continued to threaten them. But ultimately, because of fear of the people who were so excited and happy and joyous in the healing of this man who had been poor and who had been lame, they let them go. And then we come to our text in verse 23. I want you to pay attention to how in this prayer, the corporate church, the gathering of the church, responds in prayer to God and responds to the resistance that they encounter because they have been moved along in the inbreaking power of the Spirit and the resurrected Lord Jesus. So on their release, it says in 423, P- 
Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Resistance, of course, is what we encounter when we move and speak in the name of Jesus. It's what we may encounter. It may be a, a sense of inertia, just a general resistance of moving and joining in and being carried along in the flow and power and joy of the Spirit and the message of Jesus. But it can also become resistance, active, hostile resistance and aggression. On this occasion, this was an important juncture in the life of the church as they consider how would we respond to threats. They knew what had happened to Jesus who had been threatened. They had seen his crucifixion, but they were also now gripped by the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus. And so their prayer was not one in which they complained or cowered. Instead, their prayer is one in which they resist by simply affirming again their commitment, their conviction to continue in the life of the resurrected Lord and the church. This was their resistance. So in their prayer, they begin in verse 24 by praying, Sovereign Lord. They knew that they were addressing the one who was over all, the one who was the creator. And so they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the Revelation of Israel that we have in the Torah, we know that God is seen as the creator, as one who turned thought into speech, and whose speech turned things into life, who created and brought life by his very speech. And then by his speech through the Holy Spirit, 
He worked through servants. And so they should not be surprised, they say in their prayer, that they have experienced resistance. And they point to Psalm chapter 2, where David, in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks of Jesus and the resistance to Jesus, the resurrected Lord. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And so even in their prayer, they're able to keep a historical perspective that not only acknowledges God the creator who speaks, but God who speaks through his prophets and spoke through David of this moment in time when Jesus, the anointed one, would experience resistance. But that resistance was something that God intended to use. Pontius Pilate and Herod, the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were being, were part of, the very history of God that had been prophesied about. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This is really important for us when we experience resistance, that we see that our calling is not to take on governments and to resist. Our true calling is first to Jesus, the resurrected Lord, and to the Father who has a plan and who is speaking and who is acting even to this day. And so their perspective in prayer was to ask God to consider their threats. They were once again entrusting themselves to God, saying, God, you consider their threats. You consider their intentions. You consider their hearts. You consider what they want to do. But notice that they identified themselves now also as servants who speak. So enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In corporate prayer, when we respond to the resistance to Jesus of active unbelief, or we respond to injustice in this world, we must surrender ourselves again as servants of Jesus who speak. For in the speaking of the gospel and in the consideration of what it is to actually apply this good news in our lives in the power of the Spirit, we begin to lay the seeds of new life and new creation that God would do. So then they went on to pray that the Spirit of God would come and actually continue the healing work of meeting the poor, the healing work of healing those who are oppressed, the meeting work of setting free those who've been captured by unbelief in Jesus. They pray in verse 30, 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Your Holy Servant, Jesus. The expectation of prayer in prayer of healing in the name of Jesus, of events that some might call circumstances, just things that happen by chance, we would pray for as moments in which the Spirit of God is working to point to Jesus in the life of his church, to Jesus in the, as revealed in the gospel. I love the response here. This is one of those moments where God works and showed up in a way in which he turned the history of the church and emboldened all of their hearts again to continue in the life of the resurrected Lord Jesus. It says in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. With the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, we know that when we pray, we don't often experience a place being shaken. But our faith reminds us, in looking at this occasion, that God is very much present in the life of his people. And then we, we look for God to maintain and create Stability in our lives and security in our lives, not by our circumstances, not in light of the threats or the intimidation or the resistance of others, but instead in the very security and life and confidence of Jesus who's been raised from the dead. It is by his Spirit, then, that we are filled to be able to speak the word of God boldly. In Canada, we have not been told that we cannot speak the word of God. And so our resistance must be that which continues in the life of speaking and proclaiming Jesus and the word of God. And we ask God to heal and we ask God to work in the circumstances and situations of life to create signs to point to Jesus in the gospel and in the church so that we might include that person, those persons, in the kingdom of God, in the fellowship of the church. I believe that we do experience resistance externally, some, but most often it's internal. We experience an internal resistance within ourselves. We experience an internal inertia. And so the conviction of the church to actually identify as servants of the risen Lord Jesus, servants of the God who speaks, servants of the one who brings new life, is an essential surrender that we must make today in order to fulfill the essential service of the church in the world today. And that is to continue to proclaim and speak and give witness 
to the risen Lord Jesus. It is in the corporate life of prayer that we believe God does indeed show up, whether it's in two or three, or it's when we're all together and we're trusting that today as you are gathered in online house churches, as you are gathered in family groups, in your homes, that the Spirit of God is going to be incarnated among us as his body and as the church. And he will impart to us the very life that he intends us to have. And so we pray when we meet resistance. And we pray so that we can resist the temptation to surrender the gospel of Jesus into silence. We shall pray on and carry on. <laughs>